Hello and welcome to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we have a great show for you today. We have Daryl Revere joining us from the California Association of Code Enforcement Officers. Daryl, how's it going? Thanks for joining the program. Uh, going great. Thanks, Jared, for having me. It's a beautiful day here in, in California, so glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Where, where are we talking to you from today? Uh, I'm actually in the city of Livermore, just outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. Nice. Very nice. Okay. Uh, so, so Daryl, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of um, your position with the code enforcement officers? Sure. Uh, I've been in the code enforcement uh, profession for over 20 years now, uh, public safety for about 27 years at a wide range of different positions. Uh, code enforcement, though, for 21 years specifically, um, come from a public safety background, public service background. So I really enjoy this job and it's a great way to give back to our community um, so I really, I really do enjoy it. I really love it. And, and what's your position with the, uh, the Code Enforcement Officers Association? Uh, I am president of the California Association of Code Enforcement Officers. I've been so since 2019. Uh, I've been on the board of directors since 2015. So I've been involved in various uh, committees and different tasks and different assignments there with them for going on a little over six years now. And kind of, you know, just as, as a refresher for, for people who don't know uh, at, you know, listening, kind of what do code enforcement officers do? Well, code enforcement officers are, they're not sworn, generally speaking, uh, public officers who handle a wide variety of different issues at the local level. We do enforce state and local ordinances that pertain to quality of life and public health and safety. Uh, we deal with property nuisance types of cases. We're the folks that you call when a neighbor does not uh, do a good job of maintaining their property or maybe running an illegal business out of their home. But we're also involved in more serious situations such as uh, COVID-19 uh, enforcement. We, many of us were the front line of COVID-19 enforcement during the pandemic of the various state and local uh, orders that were put in place. And we were the ones, unfortunately, that had to be out uh, helping people understand and educate them about the requirements of the orders, as well as enforcing certain elements that were involved. Um, we also uh, have been involved in um, the, uh, we're also very heavily involved in uh, substandard housing or what some people may call slum lord housing uh, conditions, especially in our underserved communities. Uh, we are the ones to call when somebody does not have proper living uh, conditions where we will go out and talk with property owners, talk with tenants, and educate the property owners on proper health and safety standards for habitation of dwellings and uh, get them to correct those violations and get them back to uh, a minimal code condition. Um, and so I, get, I guess when, when you guys act, are you guys giving like civil penalties um, or, or does it turn criminal sometimes? Uh, it's, it's possible. Each individual municipality is different. They have different policies and procedures as to how they address the issues and the complaints. Uh, most agencies will start out with education and some sort of a notice and order to make sure that the property owner or the responsible party understands the problem and then gives them the direction on how to correct any violations that we find. And of course, there is the potential for administrative fines and penalties uh, for non-compliance, but we always strive first for voluntary compliance and cooperation before having to resort to those tools. 
And we do have tools that we can resort to beyond that that have more severe consequences if we have to get to that point. But we, I think for the most part, most agencies and most officers put 100% of the effort into getting voluntary compliance without having to resort to those uh, types of administrative remedies. You know, as, as we've seen in the past year, people are very passionate about, you know, the government telling them what they can or can't do. I imagine the same is, is true in, in code enforcement that, uh, you know, dealing with a situation where neighbors are feuding over a, a county ordinance or something that's on their property uh, can be quite, uh, you know, you know, dangerous sometimes because people are, are very uh, passionate about what, you know, what's on their property. Kind of what kind of risks do code enforcement officers face? Well, the risks that we face uh, are serious in many cases, and, and unfortunately, they're on the rise. Um, and you were you were right on the bullseye when you talk about people's, uh, sometimes there's a disagreement, they may have a fundamental disagreement with what we're trying to tell them. A lot of times, some of the risks that we face actually derive from uh, not understanding the situation or lack of education. So when we confront, when we uh, meet with a property owner, uh, they may just not understand the situation. And part of our job is to educate. But even with the education approach, where we try to be non-confrontational, that doesn't always get the point across. And we have to elevate our enforcement level. And that's when the risks start to uh, increase even more. When we start talking about potential uh, penalties or fines or other actions against the property owner that's going to negatively impact them, especially when it comes to perhaps uh, hitting their pocketbook or their checkbook, uh, it, uh, it the risks increase. We have many, many documented incidents of property owners who took retaliatory action against code enforcement officers or who threatened code enforcement officers merely because we pointed out a situation that we were responding to 99% of the time, we've received a complaint and we are just addressing that complaint once we verify that there's a problem and we have to find a, a, a solution to it. Um, I say like threats, uh, physical violence. We've had unfortunately code enforcement officers murdered in the line of duty just for doing their jobs. Uh, fortunately, that does not happen often, but we have seen several in the last five years, unfortunately. Uh, but they, they range everything from uh, physical threats, uh, verbal threats, uh, harassment on uh, through social media, stalking through social media, or even showing up at a code enforcement officer's private home to uh, confront them uh, about why they did what they did for basically just why they're doing their job. Right. Uh, and I guess, you know, to dealing with these safety concerns, kind of what, what's being done to kind of help I guess code enforcement officers protect themselves out there while they're working. Uh, well, we ultimately we hope that the local jurisdiction, the the, the city or the county or the township that the code enforcement officers uh, work for, are hopefully providing some sort of training or or some or sending their folks to training to be able to help them learn how to deal with situations like this. Uh, but Casio, the actual organization, uh, we are we have introduced SB 296 to the state legislature to create a minimum code enforcement officer training standard, uh, and that's the real thrust of why we're here today is to talk about that bill. Um, 
We have introduced other safety bills in the past. We also provide a lot of officer safety training uh, through our organization. Uh, there are other similar organizations that focus on officer safety training as well. So we're partnering with them to try to uh, give our members and code enforcement officers actually throughout the state, whether they're a member or not, uh, more access to good quality training and different types of training to really fill up that toolbox. So they don't have to resort to one uh, method every single time because not the same method does not work in every single situation. Right. Uh, and, and I guess what, what does SB 296 specifically do? So SB 296 is, is a, a simple but yet very critical uh, piece of legislation that we've introduced. Uh, it is basically a bill that requires uh, local municipalities that employ code enforcement officers to also uh, uh, put together or create a training program that is specific to the duties of their code enforcement officers and the situations that they face on a regular basis, but that also fit the needs of their individual uh, jurisdiction. Uh, it allows them the freedom to tailor their program to, to meet specifically their needs versus trying to use a one-size-fits-all approach where a smaller town of, say, 5,000 residents won't ha will have different needs and their officers will face different situations. So we put together a bill with Senator Limon to have the, to allow the local jurisdictions to have the control over what those programs contain. So it really does meet their specific needs rather than trying to create this blanket that meets everybody's needs. Um, and the beauty of it is it also allows them to control the costs at their level as well. Okay. So it's quite simple in its nature, but it's very, very critical. Right. And I guess right now, where is a SB 296 in the legislative process? Well, we've passed through uh, several steps. Right now, we are in the appropriation, the, uh, the Committee on Appropriations in the Assembly. Uh, we're trying to work the bill through that part of the legislature. We've made it through the Senate, the, all the various public, uh, the various committees that uh, are in the Senate, the Public Safety Committee, through their Appropriations Committee. And we're basically now in the assembly trying to make sure that they understand the importance of this. And it's actually in the uh, what they call the suspense file of the assembly uh, on appropriations, excuse me, the committee on the appropriations. And, and I guess, you know, how are you guys feeling about your prognosis and appropriations committee? Is there any costs associated with the bill? Uh, the costs are minimal, and that, like I said before, the, the one of the important parts of the bill, why uh, we have it written the way it is, is that not only does it allow the local municipalities to control what their training program involves to make sure it meets their specific needs, but it also lets them use the money that's available in their own training budgets rather than having to uh, go out and find a new funding source. Um, so they can look at what their needs of their community as far as code enforcement is concerned, see what their officers are facing, and then they can use their existing funds to, uh, to uh, create that program without having to uh, necessarily find a whole new funding source. So it's really up to them is, to, is what it comes down to. And the costs are minimal. Um, it, it's going to change depending on your, the size of your, your uh, city or your county. And, and their needs, uh, but they are minimal, which is fortunate. In many cases, bills like this can cost a lot of money. We all know how important that is. But one of the beautiful things about this too is we're fortunate to have uh, confirmation from the California League of Cities who normally uh, opposes any type of mandate like this bill is basically what it is, mandating the locals 
to implement a program like this, they typically oppose these types of, of uh, pieces of legislation, but we're very fortunate and happy to be able to say that they have already voiced their, uh, that they are not going to oppose this bill. They've told the assembly of uh, the appropriations committee that they are not going to oppose this bill. So we're very fortunate to have that as well as many other critical organizations behind us in supporting this bill. Yeah, okay, I guess what kind of what, what kind of organizations are supporting this? Uh, many of the different public safety organizations out there uh, are supporting us. One of the most important and that we're just thrilled to have uh, supporting us is the I always mess I always mess this one up, so I'm actually going to read it to make sure they get their fair due. The Congress on Racial Equality. Uh, is one of the most revered and one of the most respected civil rights organizations in the United States. And we're very fortunate to have their support on this bill because they do so much work to represent the underserved communities. And that's really where code enforcement officers, one of the most important segments of the populations that we serve is our underserved communities where we see a very large portion of our substandard housing, our slum housing, and a lot of other issues that affect those underserved communities. So we're thrilled to have their support as well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like SP 296 is, is well on its way in appropriations committee. And uh, it seems like you have some strong support and rationale behind you. And, uh, you know, we wish you all the best and uh, coming up these next few weeks and hopefully you guys get out of the committee and, and on, on the way to the governor's office. Absolutely. And we thanks, thank you so much for the opportunity, the platform to be able to get our message out. Uh, it's oftentimes difficult to get a mass message like the, out to the masses. And I very much appreciate that uh, you've given us not only one, but two opportunities uh, to talk with you and get our message out there. And just, you know, one reminder to all of those members of KCO and all the code enforcement officers across the state who may be watching this, uh, just encourage you all to get involved and contact KCO and find out how you can get involved in making sure that our California lawmakers understand the risks that we face and that they understand the importance and the urgency of this piece of legislation getting passed on to the governor for his signature later in the year. So thank you very much. Everybody be safe. That's my, my final message there. Um, watch your backs out there. Well, thank you, Daryl. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for watching Sacktown Talks. Make sure you just click the button below and subscribe and hit that notification bell so you can keep up with all our news and updates. Some are called dreamers. Wow.